Section 45 of Hand and Ring by Anna Catherine Green. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 40 In the Prison, Part 1. The jury passing on the prisoner's life may, in the sworn twelve, have a thief or two guiltier than him they try. Measure for Measure such welcome and unwelcome things at once. Tis hard to reconcile. Macbeth. Mr. Mansell sat in his cell, the prey of gloomy and perturbed thought. He knew Mr. Orcutt was dead. He had been told of it early in the morning by the jailer. But of the circumstances which attended that death he knew nothing, save that the lawyer had been struck by a falling limb from a tree in his own garden. The few moments which the court had met for the purpose of readjournment had added but little to his enlightenment. A marked reserve had characterized the whole proceedings, and though an indefinable instinct had told him in some mysterious way that his cause had been helped rather than injured by this calamity to his counsel, he found no one ready to volunteer those explanations which his great interest in the matter certainly demanded. The hour, therefore, which he spent in solitude upon his return to prison was one of great anxiety, and it was quite a welcome relief when the cell door opened and the keeper ushered in a strange gentleman. Supposing it had to be the new counsel, he had chosen at haphazard from a list of names that had been offered him, Mr. Manziel rose, but a second glance assured him that he had made a mistake in supposing this person to be a lawyer, and stepping back, he awaited his approach with mingled curiosity and reserve. The stranger, who seemed to be perfectly at home in the narrow quarters in which he found himself, advanced with a frank air. "'My name is Grice,' said he, "'and I am a detective. The district attorney, who, as you know, has been placed in a very embarrassing situation, by the events of the last two days, has accepted my services in connection with those of the two men already employed by him, in the hope that my greater experience may assist him in determining which of all the persons who have been accused, or who have accused themselves, of murdering Mrs. Clements is the actual perpetrator of that deed. Do you require any further assurance of my being in the confidence of Mr. Ferris than the fact that I am here, and in full liberty to talk with you? No, returned the other, after a short but close study of his visitor. Very well, then, continued the detective, with a comfortable air of ease, I will speak to the point, and the first thing I will say is, that upon looking at the evidence against you, and hearing what I have heard from various sources since I came to town, I know you are not the man who killed Mrs. Clements. To be sure, you have declined to explain certain points, but I think you can explain them. And if you will only inform me... Pardon me, interrupted Mr. Manziel gravely, but you say you are a detective. Now, I have no information to give a detective. Are you sure? was the imperturbable query. Quite, was the quick reply. "'You are then determined upon going to the scaffold, whether or no?' remarked Mr. Grice, somewhat grimly. "'Yes, if to escape it 
I must confide in a detective. Then you do wrong, declared the other, as I will immediately proceed to show you. Mr. Manzell, you are, of course, aware of the manner of Mr. Orcutt's death. I know he was struck by a falling limb. Do you know what he was doing when this occurred? No. He was escorting Miss Dare down to the gate. The prisoner, whose countenance had brightened at the mention of his lawyer, turned a deadly white at this. And, and was Miss Dare hurt, he asked. The detective shook his head. Then why do you tell me this? Because it has much to do with the occasion of my coming here, Mr. Manzell, proceeded Mr. Grice, in that tone of completely understanding himself, which he knew so well how to assume with men of the prisoner's stamp. I am going to speak to you without circumlocution or disguise. I am going to put your position before you just as it is. You are on trial for a murder, which not only yourself but another man was suspected. Why are you on trial instead of him? Because you are reticent in regard to certain matters which common sense would say you ought to be able to explain. Why were you reticent? There can be but one answer because you feared to implicate another person for whose happiness and honor you had more regard than for your own. Who was that other person? The woman who stood up in court yesterday and declared that she had herself committed this crime. What is the conclusion? You believe, and have always believed, Miss Dare to be the assassin of Mrs. Clements. The prisoner whose pallor had increased with every word the detective uttered, leaped to his feet at this last sentence. "'You have no right to say that,' he vehemently asseverated. "'What do you know of my thoughts or my beliefs? Do I carry my convictions on my sleeve? I am not the man to betray my ideas or feelings to the world.' Mr. Grice smiled. To be sure, this expression of silent complacency was directed to the grating of the window overhead but it was none the less effectual on that account. Mr. Mansell, despite his self-command, began to look uneasy. "'Prove your words,' he cried. "'Show that these have been my convictions.' "'Very well,' returned Mr. Grice. "'Why were you so long silent about the ring? "'Because you did not wish to compromise Miss Dare "'by declaring she did not return it to you, as she had said.' Why did you try to stop her in the midst of her testimony yesterday? Because you saw it was going to end in confession. Finally, why did you throw aside your defense and instead of proclaiming yourself guilty, simply tell how you were able to reach Monteith Quarry Station in ninety minutes? Because you feared her guilt would be confirmed if her statements were investigated and were willing to sacrifice everything but the truth in order to save her. "'You give me credit for a great deal of generosity,' coldly replied the prisoner. "'After the evidence brought against me by the prosecution, "'I should think my guilt would be accepted as proved "'the moment I showed that I had not left Mrs. Clements' house "'at the time she was believed to be murdered.' "'And so it would,' responded Mr. Grice, "'if the prosecution had not seen reason to believe "'that the moment of Mrs. Clements' death has been put too early. We now think she was not struck till some time after twelve, instead of five minutes before. 
Indeed, said Mr. Mansell, with stern self-control. Mr. Grice, whose carelessly roving eye told little of the close study with which he was honoring the man before him, nodded with grave decision. You could add very much to our convictions on this point, he observed, by telling what it was you saw or heard in Mrs. Clements' house at the moment you fled from it so abruptly. How do you know I fled from it abruptly? You were seen. The fact has not appeared in court, but a witness we might name perceived you flying from your aunt's door to the swamp, as if your life depended upon the speed you made. And with that fact added to all the rest you have against me, you say you believe me innocent, exclaimed Mr. Manzell. Yes, for I have also said I believe Mrs. Clements not to have been assaulted till after the hour of noon. You fled from the door at precisely five minutes before it. The uneasiness of Mr. Manzell's face increased, till it amounted to agitation. And, may I ask, said he, what has happened to make you believe she was not struck at the moment hitherto supposed? Ah, now, replied the detective, we come down to facts. And leaning with a confidential air toward the prisoner, he quietly said, Your counsel has died for one thing. Astonished as much by the tone as the tenor of these words, Mr. Manzell drew back from his visitor in some distrust. Seeing it, Mr. Grice edged still farther forward and calmly continued, If no one has told you the particulars of Mr. Orcott's death, you probably do not know why Miss Dare was at his house last evening. The look of the prisoner was sufficient reply. She went there, resumed Mr. Grice, with composure, to tell him that her whole evidence against you had been given under the belief that you were guilty of the crime with which you had been charged, that by a trick of my fellow detectives, Hickory and Bird, she had been deceived into thinking you had actually admitted your guilt to her, and that she had only been undeceived after she had uttered the perjury with which she sought to save you yesterday morning. Perjury? escaped involuntarily from Craig Mansell's lips. Yes, repeated the detective, perjury. Miss Dare lied when she said she had been to Mrs. Clement's cottage on the morning of the murder. She was not there, nor did she lift her hand against the widow's life. That tale she told to escape telling another which she thought would ensure your doom. You have been talking to Miss Dare, suggested the prisoner with subdued sarcasm. I have been talking to my two men, was the unmoved retort, to Hickory and to Bird, and they not only confirmed this statement of hers in regard to the deception they played upon her, but say enough to show she could not have been guilty of the crime, because at the time she honestly believed you to be so. I do not understand you, cried the prisoner in a voice that despite his marked self-control, showed the presence of genuine emotion. Mr. Grice at once went into particulars. He was anxious to have Craig Mansell's mind disabused of the notion that Imogene had committed this crime, since upon that notion he believed his unfortunate reticence to rest. He therefore gave him a full relation of the scene in the hut, together with all its consequences. 
Mr. Mansell listened like a man in a dream. Some fact in the past evidently made this story incredible to him. Seeing it, Mr. Grice did not wait to hear his comments, but upon finishing his account exclaimed with a confident air, Such testimony is conclusive. It is impossible to consider Miss Dare guilty, after an insight of this kind, into the real state of her mind. Even she has seen the uselessness of persisting in her self-accusation, and, as I have already told you, went to Mr. Orcutt's house in order to explain to him her past conduct, and ask his advice for the future. She learned something else, before her interview with Mr. Orcutt ended, continued the detective impressively. She learned that she had not only been mistaken in supposing you had admitted your guilt, but that you could not have been guilty, because you had always believed her to be so. It had been a mutual case of suspicion, you see, and argues innocence on the part of you both. Or so it seems to the prosecution. How does it seem to you? Would it help my cause to say? It would help your cause to tell me what sent you so abruptly from Mrs. Clements' house the morning she was murdered. I do not see how, returned the prisoner. The glance of Mr. Grice settled confidently on his right hand, where it lay outspread upon his ample knee. Mr. Manzel, he inquired, have you no curiosity to know any details of the accident by which you have unexpectedly been deprived of a counsel? Evidently surprised at this sudden change of subject, Craig replied, if I had not hoped you would understand my anxiety and presently relieve it, I could not have shown you as much patience as I have. Very well, rejoined Mr. Grice, altering his manner with a suddenness that evidently alarmed his listener. Mr. Orcutt did not die immediately after he was struck down. He lived some hours, lived to say some words that have materially changed the suspicions of persons interested in the case he was defending. Mr. Orcutt? The tone was one of surprise. Mr. Grice's little finger seemed to take note of it, for it tapped the leg beneath it in quite an emphatic manner. As he continued, it was an answer to a question put to him by Miss Dare. To the surprise of everyone, she had not left him from the moment they were mutually relieved from the weight of the fallen limb, but had stood over him for hours, watching for him to rouse from his insensibility. When he did, she appealed to him in a way that showed she expected a reply, to tell her who it was that killed the widow Clements. And did Mr. Orcutt know? Was Mansell's half-agitated, half-incredulous query. His answer seemed to show that he did. Mr. Mansell, have you ever had any doubts of Mr. Orcutt? Doubts? Doubts as to his integrity, good-heartedness, or desire to serve you? No. You will, then, be greatly surprised, Mr. Grice went on, with increased gravity, when I tell you that Mr. Orcutt's reply to Miss Dare's question was such as to draw attention to himself as the assassin of Widow Clements, and that his words and the circumstances under which they were uttered have so impressed Mr. Ferris 
that the question now agitating his mind is not, is Craig Mansell innocent, but was his counsel, Tremont Orcutt, guilty? The excited look which had appeared on the face of Mansell at the beginning of this speech changed to one of strong disgust. This is too much, he cried. I am not a fool to be caught by any such make-believe as this. Mr. Orcutt thought to be an assassin. You might as well say that people accused Judge Evans of killing the widow Clemens. Mr. Grice, who had perhaps stretched the point when he so unequivocally declared his complete confidence in the innocence of the man before him, tapped his leg quite affectionately at this burst of natural indignation, and counted off another point in favor of the prisoner. His words, however, were dry as sarcasm could make them. No, said he, for people know that Judge Evans was without the opportunity for committing this murder, while everyone remembers how Mr. Orcutt went to the widow's house and came out again with tidings of her death. The prisoner's lip curled disdainfully. And do you expect me to believe you regard this as groundwork for suspicion? I should have given you credit for more penetration, sir. Then you do not think Mr. Orcutt knew what he was saying when, in answer to Miss Dare's appeal to him to tell who the murderer was, he answered, Blood will have blood, and drew attention to his own violent end. Did Mr. Orcutt say that? He did. Very well. A man whose whole mind has for some time been engrossed with defending another man accused of murder might say anything while in the state of delirium. Mr. Grice uttered his favorite hump, and gave his leg another pat, but added gravely enough, Miss Dare believes his words to be those of confession. You say Miss Dare once believed me to have confessed? But persisted the detective, Miss Dare is not alone in her opinion. Men in whose judgment you must rely find it difficult to explain the words of Mr. Orcutt by means of any other theory than he is himself the perpetrator of that crime for which you are yourself being tried. I find it difficult to believe that possible, quietly returned the prisoner. What, he suddenly exclaimed, suspect a man of Mr. Orcutt's abilities and standing of a hideous crime, the very crime, too, with which his client is charged, and in defense of whom he has brought all his skill to bear, the idea is preposterous, unheard of. I acknowledge that, dryly assented Mr. Grice, but it has been my experience to find that it is the preposterous things which happen. For a minute the prisoner stared at the speaker incredulously. Then he cried, You really appear to be in earnest. I was never more so in my life, was Mr. Grice's rejoinder. Drawing back, Craig Mansell looked at the detective with an emotion that had almost the character of hope. Presently, he said, If you do distrust Mr. Orcutt, you must have weightier reasons for it than any you have given me. What are they? You must be willing I should know, or you would not have gone as far with me as you have. You are right, Grice assured him. A case so complicated as this calls for unusual measures. Mr. Ferris, feeling the gravity of his position, 
allows me to take you into our confidence in the hope that you will be able to help us out of our difficulty. I help you? You'd better release me first. That will come in time. If I help you? Whether you help or not, if we can satisfy ourselves in the world that Mr. Orcutt's words were a confession, you may hasten that conviction. How? By clearing up the mystery of your flight from Mrs. Clemens' house. The keen eyes of the prisoner fell. All his old distrust seemed on the point of returning. That would not help you at all, said he. I should like to be the judge, said Mr. Grice. The prisoner shook his head. My word must go for it, said he. End of chapter 40, part 1